Hello. She's everyone. So we're starting a series apparently called Are You Crazy? I think some of you are crazy for coming to church in that weather this morning. It's wonderful to be together. Um, I've obviously, I was away for two weeks in the U.S., which is incredible. I'll tell you some of the stories from that last week at the men's camp, but there's nothing like worshiping with your family and the people God has placed you in family and community with to see more of Him. There's nothing quite like that. And um, incredible privilege. I also did have the thought, I really don't want to see Fiona and Gabe go plant a church. I'm just saying, personal, personal little thing. Really don't want to see them go out, but anyway. God's bigger than what I want. And we said we're going to do it, so now we're doing it. It's all part of it. But um, just this morning is going to be some stories from afar, some encouragements, and the kickoff of a new series, which I'm very, very excited by. Um, God is doing amazing things. I just want to share Michael Adonis I shared this morning. It's an amazing thing. He came on the men's camp last week, and I heard while I was away that had the little one. Uh, how old? Where's Michael and Haley? The little one last week. How old? Three weeks? Three weeks last week. So I get an SMS from Mrs. Adonis just before the camp. Uh, Sometimes they think these things aren't going to go places, and then they do. And I don't know. I think it's God, but that's just me. It says, hi, Mark. Hope you're well. Baby and I are doing exceptionally well. Are you going to the men's camp? I have a very special request, please. Michael has been so amazing these past few days with baby and been serving serving on us day and night. He deserves a special mention, a shout-out, an award for Husband of the Year. I really hope you can find a moment to mention him. Thanks. And um, I mean, there's so many things there in an age where fathers are very much absent. That's amazing. But also when men and women say, I'm so serious about being a good father, I want to respond. And for them, for him at that time, it was going on a camp to find God in an amazing new way. I just want to honor that, and I think it's amazing, and we celebrate. Haley, new mom with three-week-old baby, releasing a hubby and celebrating, that's really amazing. So we love you guys. This morning, Mr. and Ms. Phillips, we always love having Gabe's parents are with us again, um, and, and uh, you can, your, your kids are a blessing to us. We love you guys, and on you here. And then I have another friend as well, Shawnee Sturton, who's amazing little kiddies. Uh, this is a very special man to me. His, his brother is one of my best mates was my best man at my wedding. His speech was 45 minutes long. 25 minutes of that was crying. And when I say crying, like ugly cry. Like kind of Gabe cry, if you've seen Gabe cry. That sort of cry it was that cry. But um, it's a, just an amazing man. We've done church together. We worship many times together. We um, were at their wedding. Cairns danced with his amazing wifey who flew back to Durban this morning. We've um, sat next to your father's bed and prayed, and, and um, we've seen some tough times, but, but I love your family, I love your mom, I love your brother, and I love your family, it's really amazing to have you here with my new family, and um, thanks for joining us this morning, buddy. I have a confession, just before I start, I think that's always a good way to start, church. I took the batteries out of our doorbell last night and turned all the lights off. Because I didn't want trick-or-treaters. Is that bad? Am I bad? I felt a little bit bad as I dislodged the battery, but I just don't do the Halloween thing. And, and I felt very tempted to get a high-pressure hose out. I thought that, wasn't, that wouldn't have been good. So I thought the best option was just to avoid the sin altogether of spraying kids with hose pipes. Just take the doorbell out. So that's my confession. Now we're all in the open. There's nothing else. Let's move forward. Um, 
had an amazing couple of weeks. I spent two weeks in the U.S. Um, and then a week here, but not here, and being, being inspired, learning from others, hearing different voices, seeing different expressions of church, expressions of kingdom impact, celebrating different victories from church plants to businesses that have been planted to see the kingdom of God come, to see amazing growth. And, and here's the learning. We are not alone. Like there's the series that was on the TV lately. It's called the, the Last Ship or something. What was it called? Anybody watch it? It's like the world is infected and this ship is not. And they're saving the world. But it's one ship on their own and they go. And it's like we're on our own. And I think sometimes churches become too quickly on that zone. It's like we're the last ship. When actually God has called a fleet of ships to impact and change the world to see kingdom advancement come. And, and it's incredibly powerful when we can celebrate, when we can honor had incredible privilege are there in this fleet of ships. There are little ships that are more nimble and they can go. And I spent the first five days with 70 or so church planters in America who are these young, um, what do you call, millennials who are impacting the world. They want to do church differently, they want to, but they want to live a big story. They want to lay their life down. They're 25 and 26 years old with incredible education saying, we believe in the gospel, we love Jesus, and we know he wants to get people saved. And in the biggest cities of the world, like Los Angeles, we're going to plant a church that is so radically unpopular thing to do. We're going to do it anyway because God's called us to do that. And it's 30 and it's 40 and it's 50 people going on mission together. The army, the fleet of ships needs that. And then I had the incredible privilege of spending four or five days, five days in a church called the Father's House, which is this unbelievable story of a South African guy who planted a church under the full gospel movement, moves to America as a worship pastor, and, and, and has an Afrikaans accent mixed with an American accent. It's very cute. It's very cute. <laughs> if you have that hybrid of accents, it's beautiful. And... Um, but he's planted in Rochester. He takes over the leadership of a church of 200 people. Ten years later, it's 12,000 people. A South African guy. And we can learn, and that's like a big mothership that's got resources, and they're planting expressions, and they're planting churches, and they're releasing multi-sites, and they're resourcing the areas of their city, and they're seeing transformation come in their cities. We need the small and nimble. We need the big. We need it all for the fleet of ships to be impactful. As the kingdom of God expands. Then you then you got the submarines, and maybe it's not the best analogy, but I, I spent a day with Hillsong in New York City, in the middle of Times Square, where there's a million bright lights and things to do, and I encounter a church where young people are stacking up in queues to go to church. Eight services a day. And somehow this movement have found an ability to impact the younger culture in America that is post-church and post-modern and post-everything related to God. And they are pouring into church. And I must be honest, I've had my prejudices about a whole bunch of things in the past. A man got up and preached one of the most powerful gospel messages I have ever heard. It was strong. It was real. It was alive. And I think, God, we need those who can, like submarines, get beyond the nets, get beyond the defenses of culture and this world, get into the world and bring change and spark change so that the fleet is advancing. We need that. Then I spent Monday morning, I flew out, spent time with a friend on Monday, and, and Monday night, Tuesday, had the privilege of sitting with a man who was on Terry Virgo and NFI's apostolic team. Stepping out of that into and, and is now heading up Bethel and, and Bethel's ministry in the UK. I sit with a man who's raised the dead more than once. 
who's a medical doctor raising the dead and has faith for healing. And I find myself breathing deep again of some of the juice. I say, God, I need all of this. I need to learn. I need to be inspired by every story. The problem is I find people engaging the gospel and their church. And somehow, instead of becoming more wide, we become more narrow. And I'm telling you, the gospel calls us to broaden our perspectives, to broaden our eyesight, to broaden our gaze again. I honestly believe that that we can honor all who worship the name of Jesus. We can learn from all. We'll probably celebrate with many because the reality of celebrating with everyone is not possible and we'll partner with fewer, fewer. But when we stop learning from all and we stop honoring all, we've missed the boat. We have to have a bigness on our heart. The gospel brings bigness. It brings an ability to sit under men and women with grace on their lives who might be different in areas and say, God, what is it that you want to show? What is it? So I come back from America not incredibly physically rested, but unbelievably inspired because God's on the move. He's using different stories. His fleet is advancing. People are getting saved. They're getting saved. Some of the toughest environments in the world where, where I say toughest, America is the mission field of the world. It used to be Africa and the East. The church is thriving in the East, guys. It's thriving. It's growing under pressure and stress. The church is thriving. Actually, in the Middle East, the church is thriving. Do you know that? I have a friend who leads a church of 1,800 people, 60 nations in one church in the Middle East. Church is thriving. You know the church is not thriving? In America. Be praying. Missionaries are going to be going that way now. Just telling you. It's happening already. So that's, that's my world the last couple of weeks. Then a men's camp with a bunch of guys as God uses a friend of mine to tell his story of unbelievable brokenness of the enemy to step back in and see healing and restoration come. It was amazing. He, he told his testimony that it's just the lowest of, from high preacher, third generation preacher to low drugs, gambling, affairs in Las Vegas, lots of money but brokenness. Back to restoration. That's the first session. Everyone thought, oh, that ended on a high. He starts the second session, he's talking a bit, and he makes a statement, yeah, and, and my boy got out of polls more last week, and literally the room just went cold. Because everyone thought, like, how? We know polls more, we're from Cape Town. But the honesty and the rawness and the realness of the gospel that breaks in, we can learn from everyone. So that's been my last two weeks. It's always fun at home. I, I've got to give you a boy update, you know that? My kids are alive, that's a good thing. Well done, Cans three good weeks on your part. Judah, Daniel is not keen on nappies anymore. Just celebrate that. That means, no, it doesn't mean it's all working out. It just means it's a little bit more work for now. Ben turned five and, and feels the need to tell everyone that he loves them and God loves them. So he's on a good journey. And Judah, um, ah, I didn't put the picture up, but, but my little boy who is this tiny little English kid in a predominantly Afrikaans school sits, goes to his first rugby year and, and he's a little bit clueless. He gets this massive award. It's like this big. For most improved rugby player under seven, Van Riebeksten. What's it? Verondering. What's? Yeah, that word in Afrikaans. I'm still learning. Help me. What is that? Someone help me. Fordering. Yeah, that one. There we That one. He got that. So it's been a big week. Uh, we had some past, a pastor and some of his mates come for breakfast early yesterday before they, f- they went off to an event. And um, they're sitting around the breakfast table, and I just see this little kid walking up. He's just sneaking up. Wayne was there. Just, just walking slowly with this massive trophy. Just not looking at anyone. 
just walks, he puts it on the table, steps back, just go. So that one's not struggling with confidence. We went to the hockey evening two nights later, and, uh, and, and the teacher gets up, and he, 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 again, he wins a little thing for the most spirited kid, and then there's the best player, and the teacher goes, I just could not give the best player of the year award, and he goes, on stage, because he really thought he should win best player of the year. <laughs> so anyway, we're on a journey with our kids. Are you crazy? I'd love to jump into the series and jump into what I really feel God is calling us to at this season. No, we have not gone crazy, and yes, it is an interesting question to ask people. There were a few um, little picks um, that, w- that we've got up. We can pop them. I'm sorry, I didn't give the guy's number, but this is one of my favorite cra- characters in movies, and, um, and, and yeah, that means nothing really, just he's one of my favorite characters. We're allowed to do that sometimes. We the next one is, again, I'm not as crazy. Look, I'm twice as crazy. We are some of those people. It's kind of the guy who, after the last World Cup, stands there. He's got a beer in the hand, so you think he's had too many. He says, Victor Matfield will play next World Cup. You think, no, not, not going to happen. Or Japan will beat South Africa. Not going to happen. These things happen. Those are the guys you ask, are oh, you crazy? It's the guy who says, I'm getting, I've got a new cell phone. And he whips out the Nokia. 3110. And you don't know what to go. You're going, oh, are you crazy, dude? No one, that thing doesn't even work anymore. It's, um, it's, it's the guys who, who go to America on a 14 to 1 exchange rate. It's, those are the crazy guys. I want to say the gospel does many things, but one implication of the gospel, when it's burning in our hearts, burning in our lives, burning in our stories, is this question, are you crazy, should get asked of you. It, it just, it comes with the story. Think about Jesus. If Jesus had contemporaries, he was part of the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, so I'm not going to get a bit weird. Stay with me. But if he had a contemporary, he says, no, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to earth and take the form of my creation because they've messed up. It's like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? No, and then what I'm going to do, I'm going to choose a bunch of mismatched disciples who really none of them meet any great grades, and I'm in them. I'm going to choose a guy who I know is going to betray me, and what I'm going to do with that guy is going to make him the treasurer. Are you crazy? He chooses to ride a donkey into town. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is the one who created it all. At the beginning, he was there. He spoke. He was the word. He chooses to ride a donkey into town. Are you crazy, Jesus? And then there's the cross. Just think about the father. He sends a son to fix a mess on earth. When actually like one of those kids' toys where they draw and they just slide across and the picture's gone, he could have done that with the earth. He could have done that with creation. He could have done that with us. He said, well, guys, father, son, Jesus, Holy Spirit, why don't we start again? Again. But he didn't. He made a crazy choice to send his son to die for us. And part of it is the world looks at that one image in John 3.16 and they go, how can I worship a God who must be crazy? He's a child murderer. Until they see him. Until they see the love in his eyes. What about some of his leaders? Moses and the people of God putting blood, the blood of lambs on their doors. The Passover, and we read that, and oh, that's a nice story. I reckon they took a little bit of blood, like a, 
like a cokey of blood and doing boop on the wall. Just a little, little bit of blood. Just so no one would see it. Wouldn't get awkward. The guy walking down your neighbor who's not part of your clan, he's not going to feel awkward because he doesn't have that dot. And then last night I'm watching a movie and they're showing that, that story and guys are taking, and I just thought about it, they must have done, they wanted to make sure they're taking sponges of blood and they're pulling it all over their walls. And imagine their neighbors, are you crazy? No, it's the latest in design. Blood on your wall, awesome. And the neighbors are going, you are nuts, you've lost it. Until one of the greatest tragedies that was part of a redemptive story happened. And every child that wasn't of God's people didn't make it through that night. They weren't asking that question anymore. I honestly believe that as true believers, we will be challenged at some stage with this. Not because of who we are, our identity, our choice. We're going to live this crazy Christianity. I'm choosing that. No, you are made in the image of Jesus. And Jesus was accused of being crazy. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. We don't have too many more options. And yes, this is a look at... Hebrews 11, and it's a story, that, and it's a chapter that got celebrated, and it's, it's the halftime call of the church. It is all those things, but it's so much more. It's calling a church to be like Jesus. See, the polls in America show that the majority of Americans believe that Jesus is God, but somehow that belief has not changed the face of a nation at some level. Sorry. Can't know God intellectually. Can't know Him about Him. He calls us to walk with Him, and He gets so deep inside, it changes our very DNA to be like Him. The gospel demands a few key things of us, and the biggest one is to become a disciple. See, here's the check, the kicker. I think you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. I think you can be a Christian, receive salvation. Walk never like Jesus and walk into heaven. Receive fire insurance from hell and spend eternity with Christ. But I don't think that's what Jesus came to offer. Jesus came and said, not will you be a Christian, will you be a disciple? I spent, uh, at the end of, of travels and busy weeks, I had the privilege of two days and a night in New York City with headphones and I walked and I just listened to the message for two days. In the craziest city of the world, I listened to the message, Eugene Peterson, and he replaces this word disciple with apprentice. He says, will you become an apprentice of Jesus? See, apprentices, they spend all their time with their rabbi. Let's talk that context. If you were an apprentice plumber, you spend all your time with the master plumber. If you were an, a, a, an accountant in those days, there wasn't this university you went to. You spent time with someone who was good at it, who was a master of their trade, and you learned everything about them. You lived with them. Jesus is our rabbi. We, we call to spend 24-7 with him, in his presence, knowing him. 
then it says that you don't just spend time with him, you learn his teachings. And the cool thing is Jesus didn't speak language that we couldn't understand. Most theology books, unfortunately, pitch it there. He speaks language that most people can understand. Because it's a language of the heart that explodes open the heart and brings freedom and life. He says, will you, will you, number one, spend time with the master? Number two, will you learn his teaching? And then finally, will you become like him? That's the journey of the disciple, the apprentice. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be the full journey of everyone who says, I'm Christian. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I haven't got people in my mind. I'm just telling you, that's the challenge. We call to be disciples. We call to be of those who become like him. And we sing the songs, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. Spend time with him. Learn his teachings, which means read the word of God for yourself and become like him. And it's part of that thing, part of the becoming like him is, oh, are you crazy? I remember being 16 and highly influenced. I had small man syndrome. I was about this tall in standard eight. I'm not even joking. Uh, some of you know I was the second smallest kid in standard six out of 220 kids at DHS. Not easy at rugby trials. Let me just tell you. Just, I need some healing from that. But, but at 16, you're highly influenced. And, and I got invited to an all-night prayer meeting. I thought, that sounds cool. So I'm going to go to school, and then one of my best mates has a party. But I've said yes to an all-night prayer meeting. Now, that sounds crazy to you. It is crazy. But you know what? When you're 16, you've got energy to burn. Why not give it to Jesus? We've got to stop taming down our young people. They've got to burn. They've got to blaze. And I remember one of the hardest things, going to this mate of mine who very much wasn't walking with Jesus at the time and saying, dude, I'd love to be at your party. He says, where are you going? I said, um... Gonna go, um, I'm going to go hang out with some guys in a, like a circle. And we, uh, yeah, we're just going to stay up, eh, dude. Just going to. And then I had to find the courage. But we're going to pray. And I'm probably going to pray for you. <laughs> but part of it is the are you crazy is what are you prepared to abandon for Jesus? Let me tell you what you need to abandon. And people are going to go, are you crazy? Number one, are you prepared to abandon the need to be understood? That every 16-year-old is going to understand you. They won't. That every person in your marketplace is going to understand you when you desire to pray for someone who's sick. They won't. Your, your need to be understood. Uh, that people would understand my decisions. That's my relevance to the world. Jesus wasn't understood all the time, guys. That's why he was crucified. You know what you've got to abandon? You've got to abandon the need to understand God always. There's not a scripture for everything that's going to happen, might happen, that will be God. He is God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is above all. He knows everything. And we are little people on earth. And when we assume to understand the fullness of the Trinity and the fullness of God, we have to give it our best shot by spending time in His Word and educating ourselves. But part of being an apprentice of Jesus is going, God is God and I am man, but I'm son. And because I'm son, I can trust even when I don't understand. My kids don't always understand why I tell them not to run in the road even when there are no cars around. They don't always understand why it's important they listen. Because one day, it might be that split second they choose not to listen. That changes everything. 
We don't need to understand everything. Abandon the need to understand everything. What about abandoning the need to be successful? America is a crazy thing. You pick up the newspaper and it's like, this quarterback is playing this quarterback. No, they're not. 50 dudes on this team are playing 50 guys on this team. But America is all about the guy. And the world is about the guy and being seen as being the guy. And the gospel says, will you follow me? Will you leave all the guy aspects behind and follow Jesus? Will you abandon the desire? The, the, I said that wrong. Success is not bad. Will you abandon bad success? Success where you're at the middle and actually it's about your win and the gospel's loss. That's what I'm talking about. Does that make more sense? What about abandoning the need for comfort and pick up the need to follow your calling? You all have a calling. Some of you look and you're like, oh, the preacher guy, so great, God's called him. Honestly, lots of me would love to be going to work tomorrow morning, sitting in boardrooms and, and selling ice creams, which was what I did for years. There's a bigger story there, but it's all part of it. But God has an assignment for you. He has an assignment for you, which means you have to be prepared to make that journey and those steps yourself. Hebrews 11 is going to call that out of you through these amazing people who in truth were just normal people who decided to worship and surrender to an amazing God and say, actually, all I am is a son of God surrendered. It's not about your serving. It's not about your working. It starts with I'm a son and there's a father who has a call over my life. See, the book of Hebrews was written to a church that was getting older and getting tired. Let me take a step back. This, this Hebrews 11 is, I don't know if you remember, I used to go to movies with my dad, and, and we'd go to a Jackie Chan movie. Any of you have been to a Jackie Chan movie? And you sit there, and by the end of the movie, so pumped. I came out once, I was about seven or eight years old, and there was like that picture of a dude that's like man's eyes, and I walked up and I just kicked it. Ah! Because for some reason, when you watch Jackie Chan, you think you become a ninja. While you watch the movie, it's like this download. You watch Usain Bolt and everybody, doesn't matter what age or what condition your hamstrings are, you go outside and you think, I can still do the hundred. I can still. You read these Hebrews 11 and there's something that's got to rise up. And it is a call. It is a call to the church to run. To stop settling down. It uses these examples of very ordinary people who believe in a very good God. And Luke 18, we know, it says, Jesus speaking, it says, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? So this book of Hebrews is written to a church that is getting old and it's getting tired and it's settling into the world. Stop being vigilant. Stop being careful. Stop watching. Hands have become weak. The knees have become feeble. And what had happened is in their journey, they've started to meander and they've forgotten that they're called to run. So let me deal with a big stumbling block for many. When you talk about Hebrews 11, we go, oh, Moses. Moses, he must have had something special. And uh, when the Bible calls me to run, he's actually talking to those characters like Gabe who get excited. Or your, your personality disposition, or some psychologist told you you were more of an introvert. Now that's real, but the gospel doesn't give you an out to run your race. The gospel doesn't say because you're slightly quieter, because, because of whatever, you just take a backseat and let someone else run. 
You just settle down, settle down. Oh, my knees are a little weak. No, let the gospel get in. Bring strength into our bones because what's at stake has eternal value. What's at stake is huge. And we forget to talk about, and too often we don't talk about the big impact of what happens when we don't run the race. And he's writing, the writer of Hebrews is writing, he says, warning to pay attention. Hebrews verse two, chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention. You know what I think he's saying? I, in a really nice thing, way, I think he's saying, wake up <laughs> to the church. I'm not you, to them. Okay. Everyone okay? Anyone sleeping? No. Everyone's awake? Good. Therefore, to what you have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so, so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. He carries on in Hebrews 3 verse 12. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sin, sinful, unbelieving, Heart that turns away from the living God. He's speaking to the area of faith. He's using the unbelieving heart that's lacking faith. He says, see that that's not you. Remember what I've done with you. Do not become the one who sits down, the one who begins to meander. The image of any river, when it starts to meander, starts to become, it starts to become swampy and stops having life. Rivers are designed to flow. We are rivers, rivers of God, rivers of His Holy Spirit. That's who we are. When we dam it up and we stop letting the flow of God happen, we get sick the same way a river would. And the challenge is he's speaking to a church that has settled to a light version of church. And you've heard it before, but Bud Light and Coke Light and Sprite Light and what's next? Cheese Light? I don't know. The problem is we can't do church light. We can't do disciple light. We can only do Jesus. So Hebrews we're going to read some Bible together for the next 10 minutes. Is that all right? Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. We're going to start before chapter 11. I'm going to share a few things, and then that's us this morning. It is really good to be back. Hebrews 10, verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I am married to a lady whose natural disposition is gentleness and... Let's just go with gentleness. She is married to someone who... Possibly you might not say their first thing is gentleness in response to situations. When situations arrive, I, I, I get in, I get stuck in, my wife gets loving and gentle. We are different. The problem with that gospel doesn't say if you are courageous, if you are front-footed. It just says, are you a Jesus person, man or woman? Don't shrink back. Don't shrink even a little bit. Rise up. And Hebrews 11, verse 1, and, and I, all I'm going to do today, I'm going to top and tail Hebrews because I'm, a, I'm that guy. Book review, read chapter 1, read the last chapter, and you kind of got the book. Anyone else do that? Time for confession number 2. Anyone else? There we go. Thank you. One honest person in the room. Um, 
Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The message says, and there's no slide, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. Confidence, this confidence that comes in is a radical thing. We watch X Factor and The Voice, and I weep a lot in X Factors. I realize people think they can do something and they can't. It's, it's like a hard thing for me to watch. I really struggle. But, um, but, but the gospel says actually, now faith is confidence. In what we don't, it's not a church that is like, well, God might pitch. God, maybe. And circumstance, or well, my experience is God didn't pitch the last time I prayed for an eight-year-old kid with cancer. The next time I encounter an eight-year-old kid with cancer, I'm not going to pray because I don't have confidence. Rubbish. And trust me, I'm speaking to my own heart. God puts confidence inside of every one of us in His goodness. And our handle in this life is that God is good. And I'm not hedging my bets. I'm all in. I cannot shrink back. I have to stand. Faith is trusting God. Walking with confidence and faith is deciding. Not feeling like it. Deciding to trust God. Young people in a day where universities are all over the place and exams are being pushed, will you trust God for your future? Finances are tough and we have a prayer meeting and a whole bunch of people need breakthrough. Will you trust God for the story? Will you trust in His ways? Will you trust him in the story? Will you trust that his ways are righteous? And, and I'm not going to tell you who it is because we love them dearly, but, but we went out for lunch yesterday. Someone looked after our kids and, and, and they said, you know what, here's a grand dining card. Won't you take it? Why don't you go take for lunch? And in truth, last time I had a grand dining, it was like a voucher, so you could just hand the vouchers, all good. This time it was a, it was a card with a name on it that said not transferable. And I'm sitting in the restaurant. I've just spoiled my wife here. I've been away a bit and we had lunch again. And then... I realize, shucks, I read the card. It's not transferable. Tony, don't look at me like that. I'm a pastor. And I go, you know what, God? It's your way or my way. It's not an indictment on the people. They're just trying to be generous. It's, so you put the card back and you pay full price and you bite the bullet. Why? Because I trust God. I trust God. I trust His ways. I trust His purposes. I have to. I'm all in. I have to be all in. If you do the grand dining chair club thing, carry on. <laughs> That's just my story. Verse 3, let's move on. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. You think it's only the lines that are in the scripture? If you believe in creation, it says by faith we, we're in the story already. We believe. But let me make a statement here, and maybe there's a, there's a picture of, of a sign I saw in America we can put up. Sorry, I didn't give the guys the slides. I saw this at a church. It says, taking the Bible seriously, but not literally. Can we have the next picture, please? It's from this book, Why I Take the Bible Seriously, But Not Literally. It's a very dangerous thing, guys. The Bible is not a survival guide for life. It's not a helpful hint. Honestly, I believe Jonah ended up in the stomach of a big fish or a whale. Honestly, Jesus died on a cross and rose again. Honestly, God created when he spoke. It wasn't a nice story. We read our kids at night and it makes us feel good because we have a belief system that underpins how we do life. It is real. 
When I read the Bible, I read the Bible about real people in real lives and the Spirit of God breaking into real scenarios. And it's very, very important because if it's not that, and Jesus wasn't real and he was a nice idea, it is very easy for me to choose my own gospel. Just a a word of challenge to the church. And I think it's really, really important. And so you say to people, I believe in creation. And you put that on your Facebook status, feeling good about your, I'm a disciple of Jesus. What do you get back? Are you nuts? What have you been reading? Where have you been, dude? It's 2015. Back to the future has already happened in the future, in the past, in the future. See, some of you aren't on Facebook enough. You don't know what happened there. But it's not popular. I believe marriage is for a husband and a wife, and I will not bend on it. It doesn't matter who I know or what. I cannot bend on it because I believe the Word of God. Do I love? My heart breaks every time. But the Word of God is the Word of God. And I either believe God created by His Word or I believe nothing. And when I believe nothing, I have no story to stand on, no handle to hold. And this is a big story. And there's a whole bunch of guys, and I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff. It says, verse 6, And without faith is it impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And the world is full of these new normals. It's, you're not living together. How are you going to test drive the car? Honestly, that's the new normal. How you, you, you give and, 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 and you're generous in recession. Oh, are you crazy, dude? You're going to forgive your enemies? So old. Been done. Faith pleases him. I'm going to jump a whole bunch of stories to the end. Because we're going to have so much fun in the Word. And I really ask, would you spend time? Don't just read Hebrews 11. Read Hebrews and see the big story of what God is doing with the people. But verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, drop the chapter, it just carries on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles, and let us run, or I'm a walker, Let us run. I am a fast walker. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Weigh him up. Put a value to him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. He says, they've done this whole thing, and they're with Jesus now, but there has not been the full consummation of the ages. They are waiting for us, and you know who these witnesses are. They're with us. They're shouting for us now, and they're witnessing, saying, God did this with us. If only you knew how insecure we were. If only you knew how insecure I was. If only you knew how fearful I was as I held up a staff over that sea. And they're shouting, will you go? Will you run? Will you fix your eyes on Jesus? Will you weigh him up, put value to him, and say, Jesus, over everything? Will you get rid of the entanglements? 
And let me tell you, the entanglement is not just what is sin. That's the wrong question. When it settles on, well, if it's not sin, it's the wrong standard. He says, get rid of the sin and actually the entanglements, those things that just hold. Is, is those things just hold? For me, there's some things that are just holding things that for you don't do anything to you. But for me, I know they hold me and I have to get rid of those things. When we settle on the question of what is sin, it's too low a standard to ask for someone who wants to run. I can't run with backpacks on and a whole bunch of things change me just because they're not sin. Our desire in this series, number one, that you would read the word for yourself. It is easy reading because it's about characters and you can cross-reference their stories. Please read the word. If you come on Sundays and I get you excited and you, you're up for two hours and then you're down, honestly, I feel like a failure. All I want to do is get you excited to have your own story as an apprentice of Jesus. You're not my apprentices. You're not my disciples. You're his. The second thing is if you're someone who hasn't given your life to Jesus in this place, I'm so stoked that you're here. I pray that as you encounter people who are crazy about God, that you would encounter the God who's crazy about you and, and has love abounding over you. If you're a believer, like the Hebrews people, that you would be called out of safe, sanitized Christianity into a story that is a little risky, where you get asked this question often, are you crazy? And maybe people aren't polite enough or honest enough to actually ask it of us, but it's in there somewhere, in the occasion. Why would you get up during the rain on a Sunday morning to go be with a crazy bunch of people? And then one scripture, and we're done. Genesis 15, verse 1 to 6. Don't turn there. If I can just read it for you. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so, my, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. As you read Hebrews, and the word of God gets inside of you, I ask this, come out of the tent. Abram, He's in his tent. God had given him a tent, which is great. When you're in a desert, you'll take a tent. When you're in a desert, you'll take any covering. When you're in a desert, you'll take any bit of water you can get. The problem is we're not called to stay in there. When we stay in the tent, we can't look at the stars and see the magnificence of the glory of our God. And this scripture wants to get inside of us. Hebrews wants to get inside and say, what is the tent of your life? Tents are good things. Tents are temporary things. What is eternal when we come outside and we stare at the stars and we see the stars shining? It says, count the stars, so will your offspring be. He says, God, but I can't count the stars, they're too much. He says, yes, I am your father. And you are late in years and your wife is very old and she has not born a child. But I am God and I'm telling you, you will bear a child. God wants to bear many children. In us as a community, why? Because the nations of the world are hungry for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And they will be revealed 
And one of the questions they'll be asked and challenged is, are you crazy? Can I pray for us? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Honor you in this place right now, God. Thank you for your word. As the rain pours down on dry land, I pray, Spirit of God, fall on us again afresh anew. Thank you for every parent here, God. Thank you that they need faith for this story to parent in an age where there's no true north unless you have a Savior called Jesus. I pray put courage inside of them, strength inside of them. And I pray that they would come outside the tent to see you in the magnificence of the stars above, God. I pray for every person here, young or old, I pray that wherever our tents may be built in deserts or in lush lands, that we would have the courage to venture outside of the comfort zones, of the protections that that offers, of the, of the idol of certainty that that provides, to step into the wide open space and say, wow, God, thank you, Father, you're amazing. Amen. The world will think I'm crazy, but I'm in. Sometimes those near me won't understand, but I'm in. Because you're good and you're faithful. And I want to be an apprentice of Jesus. Thank you that I serve because I'm a son. Thank you that I, I, I work because I'm a son. I thank you that I can be a parent because I'm a son of the living God. And I pray sonship would be upon us as we rise up in faith and choose you at this time. We bless you, Jesus. We worship you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. Protect every person here, our young people. Protect them, God. Give them courage to write a different story. To people facing challenges this week, I pray courage to rise above, to step out of the tent and to trust you again. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the glory and all the praise. Amen.